Newsrooms across the Commonwealth began wondering whether or not anybody else might have something like this in their past, and it turns out, uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, apparently so. Apparently they all do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, in Round Mountain on KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream for you coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, Desi Doyen, it actually feels like uh, there's more than five days a week. More than seven <laughs> days a week these days. Oh, yeah. It feels like uh, 37, you know, 37 and, days a week. I mean, I'll tell you, this is one of those days when I would love to let the affiliates know that we will be running two or three or four extra hours today <laughs> in order to make sense of everything that's going on right now. Are in, you trying uh, to say DC. that we've got a 10-pound show in a one-pound, one-hour bag? Something like that, uh, yeah. Um, there's so much going on. Uh, of course, w- sadly, we can't. We can't run two or three or four hours. <laughs> Or even if we could, I don't think I could make it. Uh, one hour is all we have today. But uh, So I'll let you know in advance, there's a lot of stuff that I've got to just toss over the side today for coverage on another day, as it seems like I'm constantly playing catch-up. And it's getting crazier and crazier each day. One of the things that we're going to have to largely throw to the side is the introduction this afternoon by freshman New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. In the U.S. House and by Massachusetts veteran U.S. Senator Ed Markey of a resolution calling for a World War II style mobilization. Is that a, is that a right way to put it? That's a, an excellent way to put it. For what they describe as a Green New Deal, uh, their announcement for a new resolution came today after we had already compiled our latest Green News report which was already jam-packed today. Hopefully we'll be playing uh, that a little bit later on the show. But uh, And I do hope to cover the new Green New Deal proposal, both on an upcoming GNR and uh, in detail, hopefully, but no promises, on our next broadcast. 
So we'll try to get uh, Des. I know you bit, you were monitoring that uh, press conference today. We'll yep. try to get at least some details a little bit later on in the show. But I want to get straight to this because this has just been getting crazier and crazier by the minute. Yes, Virginia, there does seem to be a lot of racism and hate in your state. Anti-fascist activists in Virginia have published allegations linking a Virginia Capitol Police sergeant to white nationalists. He has since been placed on paid leave. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that the Virginia Division of Capitol Police was investigating on Wednesday whether Sergeant Robert Stamm violated policy after uh, a group called the Anti-Fascists of Seven Hills published links on Tuesday to Stam's social media accounts and described his tattoos, suggesting they included symbols associated with a white supremacist group. The blog said that uh, the social media activity suggests that Stam follows the Asatru Folk Assembly. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'll go with that. Asatru Folk Assembly, which the Southern Poverty Law Center describes as an ethnocentric ethnocentric hate group. In 2015, the um, Richmond Times-Dispatch reports federal authorities in Richmond indicated, I'm sorry, indicted three men from the uh, from the Richmond area on charges that they were plotting to attack synagogues and black churches. Two of them were alleged to be of the Asatru faith, though they denied having white supremacist sympathies. All three men were found guilty on conspiracy and weapons charges. Facebook and Twitter accounts attributed to this Virginia Capitol Police sergeant alleged to be uh, aligned in some fashion with the group. The posts attributed to that police sergeant had apparently been taken down uh, by Wednesday afternoon from Facebook and Twitter. The anti-fascist group says that Stam caught their attention while monitoring protests calling for Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's removal over a racist photograph in his 1984 yearbook. So, yes, this story continues to get more insane uh, by the hour. And with the political crisis now widening and spiraling in the Commonwealth, uh, over the past several days since we first discussed the Northam situation on the show at the beginning of the week, there has been a lot to cover. That explosive scandal, touched off uh, by a right-wing website, now embroils all three statewide elected officials in Virginia, including the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general, all Democrats, and all now facing calls for various reasons for each to step down from their elected positions. On Wednesday night, Governor Ralph Northam received another big push to step down when the Washington Post editorial board and the Post is sort of uh, sort of the local paper for many in Virginia. So it's uh, no small matter that the Washington Post is calling here uh, for Ralph Northam to step down in a uh, an editorial headlined Ralph Northam must resign. Rather unambiguous there. In making that call, the paper's editorial board joined top Democratic leaders uh, in calling for Northam's resignation, not just top Democratic leaders in Virginia, but top Democratic leaders who are doing stuff like running for president and showing that they will not tolerate 
any such behavior, no matter how many years ago it was, and no matter how much the elected official in question does not appear to be a racist. Here's uh, how Washington Post describes it. Governor Ralph Northam can no longer effectively serve the people of Virginia who elected him. His shifting and credulity-shredding explanations for the racist photograph on his medical school yearbook page and the silence into which he then succumbed for days after initially promising to, quote, do the hard work of atonement and apology to restore his standing with Virginians is simply too much. His decade-long record in public office is admirable. It is equally true that his governorship has been irredeemably wrecked by the self-inflicted, racially callous, and clueless mess he has made in recent days. They write that having initially admitted and apologized for appearing in the offensive photo, which showed one person in blackface and another in Ku Klux Klan garb, Northam performed a head-spinning pivot a day later and denied being either person in that image. His about face, however, was undercut by simultaneous revelations and acknowledgments that he wore shoe polish on his face for a dance contest around the same period when he dressed up as uh, Michael Jackson and that Coon Man was among his nicknames in college. Though he uh, said at that press conference on Saturday that he had no idea why two people used that uh, that name to refer to him. That yeah, that wasn't his nickname that he gave himself. It was something other people gave him, and he said he didn't understand that one or what they were talking about. At least according to them, and we don't know why they chose to call him Coon Man. Uh, he said his his uh, main nickname was Goose at the time, for whatever reason they chose to call him that. The newspaper called Northam's handling of uh, this controversy, quote, artless and tone deaf, and said that facts do matter, and the ones surrounding the Northam fiasco remain unsettled and unanswered. Well, now, if these questions remain unsettled and unanswered, I might suggest that might be one reason to wait before forcing him out of office. But what do I know? Especially with some of the other information. I realize you may have heard and been following a lot of this story uh, over the past few days, but there's some elements here that I'm guessing you are not aware of that I want to try to tie together here. Back to the Washington Post editorial for the moment. First and foremost, they write, among the questions uh, that are raised, how could he possibly have admitted to something as damning as appearing in the photo if he was certain he was not one of the people in it? Well, as Northam made clear for what it's worth from his point of view anyway at that Saturday press conference he said he was uh, he was so shocked and appalled when he first saw the photo that he was apologizing for it appearing on his yearbook page that he claims that he had never seen until then because he didn't purchase the yearbook back in 1984 when he was 25 years old and in medical school he said that he spoke with people that he went to school with uh, after issuing that apology in order to try to remember if that could possibly be him. And they all agreed that it wasn't or that it couldn't be, including one of one of the, the, the two black members of his medical school class there who said that uh, the photo was entirely out of line with the Northam that he knew at the time and in the years since. Uh, Northam has said that he was uh, would be, I think, hiring investigators to look into the matter to figure out what happened, if the photo was erroneously placed on a page or not, etc. In any event, 
The uh, Post writes that the man who would succeed Northam, Democratic Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, now has his own problems. He has now been accused of sexual assault by a college professor. That's a serious matter, they write, but it is not relevant to Mr. Northam's travails or to his uh, manifest inability at this point to be an effective governor. Nor can Wednesday's news that Attorney General Mark Herring, also a Democrat, uh, who would become governor if Mr. Fairfax did not or could not uh, become governor, that Herring himself wore blackface to a party as a college student back in 1980 when Herring uh, says he was 19 years old. And so now we're going back almost 40 years for that uh, incident that night at that party that Herring was the one who who brought forward, uh, in case that makes any difference. Uh, Herring says he dressed up as his favorite rap artist at the time, according to a statement that he issued on Wednesday. The Post-Editorial Board goes on to write, it's reasonable to guess that other revelations elsewhere about other public figures with their own histories of photos of offensive, insensitive, or racist conduct may surface in coming days. Each, they note, should be judged on its own set of circumstances. In the case of Mr. Northam, the circumstances are decisive. What's done cannot be undone. He must go, says the Washington Post. Now, that followed on the public statements issued earlier in the day on Wednesday by Herring, who, again, would be second in line to succeed the governor if he steps down. The uh, statements regarding dressing up as a rapper when he was 19 and then the far more disturbing public statement that was issued on Wednesday by Dr. Vanessa Tyson, a 42 year old professor from Scripps College in Claremont, California, regarding her allegation that she was sexually assaulted by the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, an African-American. Uh, he is next in line, uh, I guess, immediate, immediately in line to ascend to the governorship if Northam finally does decide that he must step down. Tyson charges that uh, that Fairfax forced her to perform oral sex in a hotel in 2004 during the Democratic National Convention in Boston. Fairfax, for his part, has repeatedly denied her allegations. He says that they, yes, did have an encounter, but it was consensual and that he is the victim of a strategically timed political smear. Strategically timed at a moment in time when he was uh, seen as quite likely to step into the role of governor if and when Northam finally decided to step down. So there are calls now, of course, for not just the governor of Virginia to step down, but for both the lieutenant governor, Fairfax, and the uh, attorney general, Herring, to step down as as well as the governor. For his part, Herring has already stepped down as head of the Democratic State Attorneys General Association. AP reports uh, this explosive scandal uh, continued to roil across the state government in Virginia today. They report that with Virginia's top three elected officials now engulfed in scandal, fellow Democrats were rendered practically speechless and uncertain about how to thread their way through the racial and sexual allegations and the tangled political implications. 
Governor Ralph Northam's career was already teetering when the crisis spiraled out of control. First, the state's attorney general acknowledged Wednesday that he, too, wore blackface. And then the woman uh, publicly accused lieutenant governor of sexually assaulting her 15 years ago. Everyone in Richmond, it seemed, was waiting for Virginia's legislative black caucus to respond to all of this. The caucus has been calling for Northam's resignation over the past week, but they have been silent at least until now. They're still silent, I guess, up until now about the latest developments The group's chair, Delegate Lamont Bagby, said on Wednesday, quote, we've got a lot to suggest, to digest. (laughs) (laughs) You think? So the crisis now threatens to bring down all three of the politicians, all of them Democrats. If Northen resigns, uh, Fairfax stands to become the uh, Virginia's second black governor. Herring is next in line of succession after that, followed by House Speaker Kurt Cox, Kirk Cox, a uh, very right wing Republican and Speaker of the House of Delegates in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I will get to that part of the story in a moment because that should give everyone pause about what is going on here, in my opinion, and not just because he is a Republican. There is, as I said, much more to this story that you probably haven't heard. Now, at the Capitol today, lawmakers, or I should say on Wednesday, uh, lawmakers were dumbstruck over the day's fast-moving developments with all of this coming out and with Democratic uh, Senator Barbara Favola saying, quote, I have to take a deep breath and think about this. Well, I suspect she does. Black lawmakers' uh, response here could set the tone for whether fellow Democrats demand the resignation of the lieutenant governor and of the attorney general. Democratic Senator Luis Lucas said several people were were crying at the Capitol, uh, including men, they note, as Herring apologized to black lawmakers before issuing his public statement. Uh, He said that he was very sorry, according to Lucas. Now, Cox the Republican House Speaker and would-be Republican governor, if the three men before him all stepped down, issued a statement calling the allegations against the Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, quote, extremely serious and said they need a, quote, full airing of facts. And they are extremely serious and they do need a full airing of facts. Hearing it from Cox, however, well... He also urged Herring to, quote, adhere to the standard that he has set for others. That's a nod to Herring's previous call that Northam should resign. Uh, Are you you keeping up with all of this so far? (laughs) Because this is insane. Yeah, it is. But it does seem like a bit of political opportunism, at least for the Republican there. I wonder if he would like for Donald Trump to be held to the same standard that this House Speaker is holding these Democrats to. Oh, I don't think he has issued any such uh, calls for uh, Donald Trump to step down despite uh, all of these allegations. Or to be held to any standard. Of any standard, right. Now, Democrats have expressed fear that all of this, this uproar, could jeopardize their chances of taking control of the GOP-dominated Virginia legislature this year. In Virginia, they hold off-year elections. So 
their upcoming election, when all 100 seats are up in the uh, House of Delegates in Virginia, that happens this year following on the very big gains. You'll recall we covered them on the show at the time, uh, the surprisingly big gains that they made in 2017, one of the first big elections to happen uh, in, in any state uh, following the, uh, the, the inauguration of Donald Trump that same year. They made very big gains. In fact, uh, back in 2017, they came within, the Democrats uh, came within literally one single questionable, very questionable vote of being elected to take control of the entire state house of delegates after years. Again, this was back in the last off-year election, back in 2017, and so they were and are very much hoping to seal the deal this uh, this year in 2019's election and take control of that House. Now, at the same time, Democrats nationally have been taking a hard line against misconduct in their own ranks because women and minorities are vital uh, to the Democratic base, of course, and they want to be able to criticize as Desi noted, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump's behavior without looking like hypocrites themselves. Well, they may not look hypocritical here, but as I suggested when we last covered this story, at the beginning of the week, uh, before these a additional allegations and revelations came up regarding the lieutenant governor and the attorney general, uh, Democrats may end up looking pretty foolish here, depending on how everyone ultimately decides to move forward. In fact, as I asked at the time uh, on, on uh, I think it was Monday's show, uh, would, would Democrats be in such a rush to run Northam out of his job for this, whatever this perceived offense was or wasn't? Would they be in a rush to run him out of, out of Dodge here if the lieutenant governor happened to be a Republican instead of a Democrat? Would they have been so quick to call for Ralph Northam to step down if they knew that they were going to hand control of the governor's mansion to a Republican? And that was, that was before we saw the, uh, the full you know, allegations about sexual assault against the lieutenant governor Fairfax, a Democrat. Again, which he denies and which The Washington Post uh, did not report on back in 2017 uh, when the accuser here had approached them. They say because at the time they could not corroborate the professor's story. But as I said, there is more background that you need to know about here and that hopefully the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus is considering as they are taking their breaths and de uh, breathing deeply and trying to figure out how to proceed here. Now, we covered various elements of this background very closely here on the broadcast when it all came about uh, way back in 2017. As uh, as the Hills Reed Wilson uh, reminds us, he summarizes uh, some of this in a Twitter thread on Wednesday night. Back in 2017, the Virginia House of Delegates, that election ended with 50 Repu Republicans and 49 Democrats and one tied race. Remember that tied race in uh, Newport News, Virginia? It was decided when election officials uh, pulled the Republicans' name out of a ceramic bowl because the election was tied. It ended up going to the Republican. Remember that? Oh, yes. 
Now, uh, you may recall how that uh, came down. It was an incredibly close race before they even got to the ceramic bowl and drawing lots part of this that eventually gave the seat to the Republican. But uh, it was an incredibly close race. For the House uh, House delegate in Newport News, there was a recount. The Democrat ended up winning that recount by one single vote that would have resulted in the Democrats regaining power in the House with a 50-50 power split in the, in the House of Delegates after all of these years of Republican control. But on the night after the final day of counting, that evening before everything was, was sealed up and certified, one of the Republican election judges decided had a change of heart. He decided that one of the ballots that uh, they had tossed because they uh, declared it to be spoiled during the, uh, during the recount, that that should actually count as a Republican vote. And a panel of Republican judges then agreed the next day, which meant that the race for that one seat was then tied, and then that would be then decided by a lot, uh, drawn out of a ceramic bowl, which, miracle of miracle, the uh, Republicans ended up winning and retaining their incredibly slim majority, but with it control of the uh, Virginia House of Delegates. So just to be clear, the Democrat won in the recount. But then the judges decided to look back at that, and that ended up tying their... A Republican yeah. changed his mind, basically. Right. Yeah, that one, that, that ballot that I said was a spoiled ballot, let's go ahead and count that for the Republican, after all. And they did, and they all move forward with this and that meant that republicans held on to uh to their control a 51 49 edge essentially in the state house which means they then re-elected their their man kirk cox to become speaker of the house the republican if Northam, Fairfax, and Herring now all resign, Republican Speaker Kirk Cox would therefore become governor, all going back to that one single vote and that one draw out of the bowl. But there is more to this. The facts uh, behind all of this are even, frankly, more troubling, which Reed Wilson uh, links to uh, as what he calls a side note, but I think it's much more than a side note, especially right now as Virginia is trying to figure out what the hell to do and how the hell to get out of this mess. And they should keep this in mind. And I'm sure they are, but this part of the this part of it is not getting quite as much coverage in the media. So that's why I want to make sure you understand this. This is a, it, well, I, I'm going to read from Reed Wilson's own story at The Hill just about Two weeks ago now, this was January, the end of January, from Reed Wilson, a panel of federal judges this week ordered Virginia to adopt new state legislative district lines that are likely to significantly aid Democratic efforts to reclaim control of the House of Delegates. This from a panel of federal judges. The judges selected a draft uh, a district map drawn by a University of California, Irvine political scientist chosen by the court as a special master here last year after uh, after the court had ruled that 11 state house districts had improperly and unconstitutionally diluted the political power of African-American voters, essentially. As the court found at trial last year, the Republicans in control of the House after the last census back in 2010, they packed all of the black voters into just a very few districts 
thus diluting their voting power and then giving Republicans a whole bunch more seats in the House of Delegates that they likely would not otherwise have won on their own if there were fair districts here. Under the new lines uh, on this uh, new map that the federal uh, court is now ordering Virginia to use, six districts, six districts that favored GOP presidential nominee Mitt Romney over President Obama back in 2012 would have gone to Obama instead. Six different districts would have given uh, Obama a majority, according to an analysis by a nonpartisan group in Virginia. Several Democratic-held districts in and around Richmond and Hampton Roads would shift significantly towards Republicans, but... Those districts are very heavily Democratic already. These are districts that were unconstitutionally packed with African-American voters. So even with this new map, those districts are likely to remain in Democratic hands. Now, uh, as I noted, Republicans currently hold 51 of the 100 seats in the House of Delegates. Democrats hold uh, 48 seats now. One of their uh, Democrats actually won a special election to the state Senate earlier this month. So all 100 seats are now up for election this year and supposedly under these new maps. Republicans are going, going to be challenging it. They're going to the U.S. Supreme Court. But under these maps, you would see a significant gain in uh, what Democrats, uh, the seats that Democrats are likely to hold after some 10 years of these unconstitutional, unconstitutionally racially gerrymandered maps that were put in place by the Republicans. Nick uh, Gettert, a uh, political scientist at Virginia Tech, said, My impression is that the new maps create three almost certain pickups for Democrats uh, with a potential for as many as eight flips in the Democrats favor under these new maps. So uh, Democrats are clear favorites, he says, to take control of the House later this year if the electorate looks anything like it did back in 2017. Of course, this was all written about two weeks ago, which is forever ago, given what has happened uh, over the past week or so in Virginia. So with these new fair maps, Democrats would almost be guaranteed to retake the House majority this November, but that won't help for the moment in this scandal uh, regarding the governor and the two statewide officials below them. What we have at the moment is a situation where had Republicans not held control of the House Thanks to unconstitutional racially gerrymandered maps. And then thanks to that one single Republican vote and that one Republican election judge who changed his mind in order to count it in that one single House race. And the Republican uh, majority panel of judges that approved his uh, his change of heart at the time. And then the luck of the draw out of that ceramic bowl. Had all of that not happened, there most likely would not have even been a Republican House speaker to become third in line after the lieutenant governor and attorney general to become the next governor of Virginia if the governor and the, the other two statewide officials in the line of succession stepped down to clear the way for the Republican House speaker Kirk Cox to become governor. Well, that's all thanks to that GOP uh, gerrymandered House district, uh, th those House districts that were put in place after the 2010 census. But it is even worse than that. 
Among the districts that shifted most dramatically under the new maps, Reed Wilson reported two or three weeks ago, is uh, one of the districts in Petersburg, just south of Richmond. That's the district held by House Speaker Kurt Cox. Cox's district, his current district, gave Romney uh, back in 2012 uh, 63% of the vote. But under the new lines from this new map, he would find himself running in a district where Obama, Obama beat Romney 53 to 47 by six points. So if it weren't for Cox and the Republicans gerrymandering the maps in the first place, Cox would not even be there now, most likely. He would not probably have been elected to this post much less potentially becoming the next governor of Virginia. Back in uh, January, when these uh, when these new maps, when this new map was was put out uh, about two weeks ago, uh, he said that Republicans in the state legislature would appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, I suspect they will, because he knows he's going to be out of a job unless he becomes governor first. The Democrats said at the time uh, of these new maps that a, a consequence of undoing gerrymandered maps is that the partisan makeup of some districts may change, but we cannot place partisan politics above the U.S. Constitution. We are pleased that Virginians will have constitutional districts for the November elections. Well, I am, too. But that hardly helps them now, does it? So, yeah, uh, little wonder that the members of the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus have... As one member said, a lot to digest. I would say so. And I guess the question now is, well, what is worse? Who should be in charge of Virginia? A guy who put on blackface 35 years ago to play Michael Jackson in a dance contest? Who has long been a friend to the black community? Who attends a, a majority black church and nobody believes actually is racist? but I guess should be punished for what he did all of those years ago. Uh, or the guy who stole the voting power of tens of thousands of black voters in order to uh, grab onto power in the state for a decade and now potentially to become its governor, thanks to the guy who wore the blackface as uh, Michael Jackson, or to the uh, attorney general who dressed up as his favorite rapper one time 40 years ago. Do they all need to go? I don't have the answer to that question, uh, but it's one of the reasons I was trying to suggest on Monday when we last covered this, that Democrats may want to slow down before turning every transgression, no matter who carries it out, no matter how long ago it was, no matter how much contrition, uh, they may have shown honest contrition that they may have shown since. I think of Al Franken again being railroaded out of the U.S. Senate. You know, before they turn all of these things into a fireable, uh, you know, death penalty uh, offense, frankly. Now, we got a lot of comments uh, following our show on Monday on all of this when we had opened the phone lines to discuss whether uh, people thought that Northam should, in fact, step down. That was before the additional allegations and revelations about all of the other people, about Fairfax and Herring. Uh, some thought that, yes, uh, he should immediately step down in comments sent to me uh, via email, bradcast at bradblog.com or left on the uh, on the Brad blog, etc., or, or via Twitter. Others did not think so. For example, uh, commenting on the show, 
uh, over at Daily Coast uh, when we uh, post the uh, broadcast over there. Shining Armor said, thank you for bringing a thoughtful pause to question and think about this situation in place of what I see as an emotion-driven call for resignation. People have a right to be offended. I don't agree that the political death penalty resignation is the right expectation for every skeleton exposed. Democrats need to be the party of reason, and this practice of calling for resignations needs to stop, says Shining Armor. Hate me if you must, but someone needs to stand up and speak out against this dangerous behavior. Northam will do us all a favor if he resists the pressure to resign, has a thoughtful discussion about his past behavior and our society, and breaks this practice of calling for people to resign every time someone has made a mistake. Now, uh, you know, this is not up to me. This is up to the people of Virginia, obviously. Uh, And I'm not talking about uh, people who are avowed racists still, which, you know, Northam is decidedly not, at least not to, you know, nobody seems to say as much. Uh, Avowed racists like uh, Iowa Congressman Steve King, he's still a racist. He's still proudly a racist. Uh, or even Donald Trump, who defends white supremacists as very fine people. So I'm not even talking about people like uh, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, who has essentially been accused of a crime. Not talking about people who have been accused of a crime. And so that situation needs to play itself out. There does need to be investigations, etc. At least in his case. Um, even if there are not a criminal charges brought, at least in his case, the people can decide if they wish, uh, you know, to not vote him back into office. Compare that to the uh, very similar in in many ways uh, allegations against U.S. now U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He was also alleged by a college professor to have sexually assaulted her many years ago. Um, Though that was just one such allegations against him, there were several. It also had more corroboration. uh, And and most importantly, he was up for a lifetime job on the U.S. Supreme Court. So there was virtually no way to get rid of him once he was seated and began determining policy for this for this entire nation for generations. Point being There has to be degrees and nuance to this. There just has to be. Or maybe there doesn't. I don't know. It's not my state. I'm not a voter there, so I have no actual say. But, you know, it would be nice if people waited for all of the facts to come out before they they started demanding people step down, that they get all of the facts that underlie these things and come with consequences like 10 years of black voters being suppressed and their votes diluted by the Republican who could become the next governor of Virginia. So my hope here, uh, in any case, uh, is to make sure that listeners understood all of the facts before making their decisions. Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. 
to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. I ask the men and women of this Congress, look at the opportunities before us. Our most thrilling achievements are still ahead. We have not yet begun to dream. That's right, folks. In other words, the nightmare is just beginning. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, yes, the nightmare is just beginning <laughs> or continuing or growing or widening. Uh, Seemingly never ending. That was from uh, Trump's State of the Union address on Tuesday, which already feels like a thousand years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you missed our, uh, our, our program with uh, Heather Digby Parton and Eric Bollert yesterday uh, on the State of the Union, you'll want to tune in to that. Uh, I thought it was quite a good show. They, yeah. were, they were very smart, as usual. And funny, as always. And one of the points that uh, we had brought up was this discussion about uh, in the State of the Union um, where uh, the U.S. is now targeting, essentially targeting Venezuela for to overthrow it with an unelected leader who has declared himself president. But more to the point here, what they're doing is uh, using Venezuela, which is in its own uh, you know, state of uh, political distress right now, to say that, oh, look, socialism doesn't work. <laughs> it didn't work in Venezuela, so we can't do anything socialistic here. Now, I haven't noticed uh, anyone uh, who believes that nonsense. I haven't noticed that they are um, returning their social security checks or uh, asking for the abolition of the military or declining their Medicare payments. No. Uh, so apparently they do like socialism in certain circumstances, um, but they don't seem to like it, uh, at least as far as they can use it against Democrats in advance of 2020. And they're trying to hold up uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as being a socialist who wants to destroy the country. And of course, it's the difference in Venezuela. They have authoritarian socialism. What uh, Ocasio-Cortez is talking about is a European-style democratic socialism. Really quite different. Authoritarian versus democratic. It makes a yeah. big difference between Venezuela and, say, Denmark. Uh, and uh, it also makes a big a big difference between that and the authoritarian capitalism that we now <laughs> seem to have in this country. Yeah. Now, uh, we mentioned that uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, had her... Press conference uh, it, today it, about it, the Green New Deal. Right. Yes. And, and we hope to get into that uh, a bit more tomorrow uh, uh, or on our next broadcast as soon as possible in any event. We've yes. got a Green News report coming up that doesn't deal with it because all of this happened after our Green News report. But prior to all of this, Fox News is is helping out with this whole socialism <laughs> thing in a big way. They are freaking out. They're freaking out that AOC uh, has suggested raising the uh, top marginal tax rate to 70% on those making more than $10 million a year. Mind you, those people would not be taxed 70% of their income. It would only be on 
whatever they make above $10 million each year. That rate would only start with their 10 millionth dollar. But they're starting to notice that these uh, policies like uh, taxing rich people, uh, 70 percent, etc., on their 10 millionth and one dollar and things like a Green New Deal are actually incredibly popular and not just with those lefty commie socialists like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but with all Americans, including Republicans. This freaked them out. Uh, recently on Fox News, uh, although to their credit, they actually pulled up a Fox News poll to show just how popular that idea is of raising taxes on rich people. I see what seems to be a movement against capitalism in this country. This is a piece in Politico uh, just published, Soak the Rich. Americans say, go for it. In this piece, it talks about uh, how recent polling is showing that the American public is increasingly on board with raising taxes on the rich. As evident, uh, evidence, we pulled up this latest Fox News poll on the issue, whether Americans support raising taxes on the wealthy, on incomes over 10 million bucks. Uh, those that are in favor of that, seven. 70% Charles, over a million dollars in income, 65% are in favor of raising taxes. Oh, heavens no, 70% of Americans want to raise the taxes on people making more than $10 million, and somehow that is against capitalism? That's against uh, unfairness. Uh, you know, that's against uh, you know people not paying their fair share. She was asking, uh, what's this guy's name? Charles Payne? Yes, Charles Payne. He's a Fox News contributor. Uh, who has, by the way, been accused of various sexual assaults himself, but he was not fired by Fox News. Uh, here's how he responded uh, to her question there. The idea of fairness has been promoted in our schools for a long time. And we're starting to see kids who grew up in this notion that fairness above all. Uh, and, and, and now they're becoming voting age and they're bringing this uh, ideology with them. This ideology of fairness. How dare they bring that with them from childhood? I mean, what's next? Are they going to teach them how to share? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, do I have to remind you that Fox News's slogan is fair and balanced? <laughs> I mean, the idea that they're against fairness, that he's denigrating all oh, these kids, uh, these kids nowadays, they believe in fairness. How they, dare they? they think everybody should pay their fair share. That's just outrageous. So uh, good luck, Fox News. Uh, that's the sort of thing they are freaking out about right now in advance of 2020 and figuring out how they're going to uh, overcome their own polling, showing that, yeah, you know what? Fairness is pretty popular. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez retweeted that video that was originally posted by Steve Morris over at Media Matters for America. And uh, she added her own comment. Just wait until they find out about the golden rule. (laughs) That's Christian, you know. Don't tell Fox News about it. (laughs) They won't be happy at all. Do unto others? What? Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyne and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) 
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, Des, since, uh, since I had to uh, basically throw everything overboard to try to uh, cover that background, to send up that flare concerning Virginia earlier in the show, because yeah. I just want people to understand. Uh, so th- I was running late. Now I'm running about a minute early. So <laughs> since you've, you failed utterly to include <laughs> the uh, introduction of the Green New Green New Deal. Into the Green, Green News, News Report. Report. Yes, because it came uh, in too late, yeah. right? You want, you want to take about one minute to uh, give us a summary, and we'll sure. cover it more in the, in the future? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, again, as you mentioned earlier, this was introduced by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, both Democrats. It is a resolution to flesh out the concept of a Green New Deal. It is modeled after FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's Depression-era uh, New Deal, Mm -hmm. and the idea is to create millions of jobs, just like FDR did, uh, building the infrastructure, you know, that we need in order to fight climate change. So remember, this is a blueprint for how to move forward Mm -hmm. and a framework for how to develop legislation. So uh, it sets overall goals. Um, It has five goals that include achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions, uh, providing for a just transition for fossil fuel dependent economies, and cleaning up our air and water, restoring ecosystems cleaning up the land, etc. Um, it does not mandate 100% renewable energy by 2030. A lot of people thought that it would. It does not. It basically says, here's the target. We want to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2030 or 2050, and we'll figure out how we get there. So they're not mandating or prescribing the solutions that must be done. It's basically a target. You mean target this isn't a government there. takeover? This isn't government, government tyranny? Exactly. So anybody who says that it is, anyone who says it's command and control and top down and Soviet style is lying about it. Oh, I don't believe that Fox News would lie about so that. So there's sort of lots thing. more to it, and we'll get more in that uh, into that information about what it is and the goals and the projects. You know, the idea that it's a, that it's going to combine economic justice, social justice, environmental justice, and also combat the combat the existential threat of climate change. You, you know, these kids are coming up now, and they're being taught all about justice in school, <laughs> and now they want justice. Yes, and uh, by the way, yeah. uh, all the studies show that, yes, it would be expensive to transition away from fossil fuels, but it is far, far more expensive to deal with climate change catastrophe. And that, of course, is why AOC and Elizabeth Warren and others and Bernie Sanders are talking about raising the uh, the tax rate on the rich people. Yes. So they pay their fair share. All right. Uh, We'll have more of that in the days ahead. Until then, it is our latest Green News Report. For the first time in 65 years, we are a net exporter of energy. Trump's State of the Union was low on facts, but high on oil. With climate change, the cost of failure is existential. Democrats bring climate science back to the U.S. House. 
Plus, new data from the federal government show 2018 was the fourth hottest year since scientists began keeping records in 1880. So it is hot in here. I'm not crazy. Well, all of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Carbon is killing us. Mexicans are not. (laughs) This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I was happy to see watching uh, CNN after the State of the Union address that I was not the only one who thought it was disgraceful that Donald Trump did not talk about climate change during that address. Yes, and we will get to that in a moment. But first, NOAA and NASA both on Wednesday finally officially confirmed that 2018 was the fourth warmest year ever recorded globally, thanks to man-made climate change. What took them so long? Well, that announcement had been delayed by the government shutdown. Oh. That means that the last five years, going back to 2014, have all been the five hottest years on record. Nationally, NASA said rainfall is also trending upward. 2018 was the third wettest year in the overall U.S., and nine eastern states experienced their wettest years ever. Well, it's great to have the American scientists back at work. British meteorologists are predicting that the next five years will be even hotter than 2018 was. And NOAA announced this week that in 2018, extreme weather disasters like wildfires, hurricanes, and floods killed 240 Americans and caused $100 billion in damages. Maybe I liked it better when they were furloughed and we didn't have to know about that. So keep all of those facts in mind as we turn to President Trump's State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Trump did not mention climate change at all in the address or the Americans killed in extreme weather disasters over the past year or even the booming U.S. renewable energy industry. But Trump did tout his rollbacks of pollution regulations and inaccurately took credit for booming U.S. oil and gas production. The United States is now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. Now that is a remarkable shift and it does have significant consequences. Finally, you're giving my president some credit. But oil and gas production was already surging when Trump took office due to actions taken by previous presidents Bush and Obama. And the U.S. became the top oil exporter in the world all the way back in 2013. Huh. Trump didn't mention that when he gave himself credit. Climate change did rate a mention in the Democratic response to the State of the Union delivered by Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. And then there was this surprising post-speech exchange on CNN when former Republican Senator Rick Santorum asserted that, of course, Trump didn't mention climate change because his base denies it. But CNN's John King was having none of it. Every leader, whatever your party, should be talking about climate change. It's just we well, could have a debate about what to do about it. But he's the, the president of the United States at this moment in the world did mm-hmm. not mention climate change in even a sentence. 
is just frankly a disgrace. Wow. That was John King? Yes. On CNN? Yes. Wow. And on Wednesday, the House Majority Democrats brought climate science and policy back to Congress with a flurry of committee hearings to begin debate over potential U.S. climate policy responses like the as-yet-undefined Green New Deal. Here's Congressman Frank Pallone of New Jersey in the House Energy and Commerce Committee on Wednesday. I know there are those who believe we can't address this problem because, of course, are too high. But the costs of not acting are far higher and a lot more painful. Now, in these hearings, House Republicans attacked the very idea of a Green New Deal, calling it socialism and Soviet-style government overreach, despite polls that show 80 percent of voters from both parties strongly support its main goals. So you can expect a flood of scary right-wing fear-mongering and false claims about any Green New Deal that might emerge. And, of course, expect them to ignore the enormous costs of climate change that are occurring right now and omit the benefits of, you know, averting catastrophe. I would expect no less from this crowd. As a matter of fact, we are seeing it already. Just turn on Fox News. They are doing anything and everything they can to undermine a Green New Deal on behalf of their fossil-fueled bosses. Oh, yeah. The scaremongering is strong right now. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters. At Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. No, don't be afraid. We'll all be fine. Yep. We're in this soup together. <laughs> and we'll make it work one way or the other. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer here. And, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other going back 15 years or so, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and to celebrate our 15th anniversary. Barry N. writes in along with a uh, donation. Congratulations on 15 years. I hope you and Desi are out having a couple of beers. <laughs> your commentary on voter suppression keeps me in a state of depression. Sorry about that, Barry. Uh, he notes, I love it when you're snarky because it gives me hope that Trump will take his seat in old Sparky. Hmm. Well, we don't want we don't want that to happen. No, He's talking hey, about the, the electric chair. Yeah. We don't want that to happen. Right. Right. No no, killing people. Take your depression. Turn it into action. There you go. Well said, Desi Doyen. All right. That's it. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman until we meet again. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.